Good morning, everyone. How beautiful is this, hey? God has provided such a glorious day for us to celebrate his name together. Um, my name is Micah. If we haven't met before, I'm the pastor here at Whistle Community Church, and it's just a joy to have you. And the rest of us are going to be spending some time in the Word of God. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of James. And James chapter 4 is where we're going to be studying today. And I'm going to get out of the wind as much as I can. Is that a little better? Perfect. Well, who here is forgetful? We're all forgetful, right? And this is one of the reasons why every Sunday when we gather as the people of God, we enter into studying His Word because we often forget who God is. We often forget who we are called to be in God. And we often forget the call that Jesus has placed upon our life. And so this is why we study the scriptures together. This is what we're ultimately trying to accomplish in this period of time together. Now, let me start with a serious note in light of this. Um, as many of you know, uh, we have had a, quite a tragedy um, revealed in the recent history. Um, the 215 children that were left undocumented on the residential schools and we, we look back on that reality where more and more injustice is being exposed in the history of Canada and we are hearing more stories of malnourishment of experimentation of isolation um, of abandonment of kidnapping of colonization of rape and it's just absolutely horrific some of the stories that are being exposed and back in 2012, Rebecca and I were actually um, part of the Truth and Reconciliation experiment, or not experiment, but um, really this time of gathering to really examine what happened in the residential schools. And the stories I heard and the history that was documented, I could not imagine things getting any worse and any more horrific stories come to light. And yet that is exactly what has happened in our recent history. And so we, we asked the question, why and how could this happen? How could priests and nuns and especially the church be part of kidnapping, especially innocent children? How could the church take part in evil? And, and the response that James has for us today is quite timely for us to comprehend as the church. This word from James 4 becomes so timely because what God's word is going to do is confront us today and tell us that before we start judging people from the past and before we start judging people around us, James reminds us of where the root of evil truly comes from. And it doesn't come from external circumstances. It does, doesn't come from all these things. It actually comes from inside. It comes from an emptiness that we are trying to fulfill as humans. And because of the root of evil, we act out actions of evil, trying to fill that emptiness in our life. And so this is what James has for us today. This is what he says. He begins like this. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? That's a big question, isn't it? Who here has ever experienced conflict, right? 
We've all experienced quarrels. We've all experienced fighting. We've all experienced these things. And James is coming to us and he's saying, you need to ask this question in your life. You need to ask the question, well, why are you fighting? I mean, have you ever seen a, a couple at dinner, perhaps, and they're sort of arguing, and you ever ask the question, what are you guys fighting about? <laughs> or have you ever seen families split apart and disjointed and wondered what happened to cause this conflict? Or, or even if you've had friends that distanced themselves from you or you've seen it in others, you begin to ask the question, why did this friendship break up? What is going on here? What is taking place? And James begins to answer this. He says, this is part of the reason why there's quarrels and fighting among you. He says this, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? He says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And, and James is saying, what is causing all this injustice and conflict and quarreling in the world? What is causing all the issues from the most intense, drastic things like colonization to the very quarrels you have against your spouse or friends? He's saying, what causes all of this is what you ultimately desire in life and the emptiness that you are trying to fulfill. He says, this is the reason for conflict. And he's saying, James is saying, there's something in us as humans that we are lacking, that we all are trying to fill. There's this emptiness inside of us that we are trying to find and create meaning to. And he's saying, you want something so intensely that you're gonna do whatever you can possible to make it happen. And James says, these passions are at war with you. In other words, I want this, but I'm not getting it. I'm not fulfilled. I'm not satisfied in life. And so this is the warning that James gives. Now, he says the reasons for all these arguments and conflicts and wars and passions within you, he says, you never really ask God to fulfill those things. You never really approach God to give you satisfaction and joy in life. If, if someone truly desires to seek after God and be satisfied in him, James says you're not going to quarrel, you're not going to covet, you're not going to fight because every satisfaction you desire in life is fulfilled in God. Now, I'm someone who firmly believes that God is glorified, he is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. I know you guys have heard me say that before. When we are most satisfied in God, when we are most contented in God, when we are enjoying God, that is when God is most glorified in our life. And so the question is, if we want to see glorify, God glorified, if we want to see God celebrated in our community and our nation, then they must see that we are satisfied in our God. Amen? They must see the enjoyment that we have in God. And so process this simple question even now. Process the question, are you completely satisfied in God? Are you completely satisfied in God? 
That's James' big question. He says, if you're not satisfied in God, then you're just going to cause all this injustice around you. The only way you can actually see God glorified is when you are truly satisfied in Him. And so even contemplate this last year. So much was taken away from us this last year, wasn't it? I mean, I, I think we are so enjoying this moment here and now because so much was taken away from us. And, and the question that James confronts us on is saying, you know what, when all these things are taken away from you, do those around you still see your satisfaction in God? Or do they simply see how unsatisfied you are in the circumstances you are taking part in? That's a big question that we need to ask as the church and our witness to the community around us. Are, are we so satisfied in God that we can enjoy him in any circumstance in life? James says, if, you, if that's not your heart, if that's not your pursuit, then all you're going to do is cause quarreling and fighting and conflict and even goes to the point of describing murder, which we have even witnessed in this past year of what's being ex exposed. Now, here's a beautiful story about satisfaction in God. Now, we think we know what it's like to experience quarantine. Who, who had some experience of quarantine this past year, right? And, and we think we can describe that in some sense. But in reality, I don't think we even have a grasp of true quarantine. And, and I remember, I want to tell you this story. One of the most powerful moments for me in Armenia was I went to this place called Korverop. Has anyone ever heard of Korverop before? Korverop is this place that Armenia basically um, has this uh, monastery and this sort of relics around it celebrating the birth of Christianity in Armenia. And, and the question is, well, well, how was Christianity birthed in the country of Armenia? I mean, technically in history, 301 AD, Armenia became a, a Christian nation. In other words, this was an, a, a religion approved by the king. And, and this is the basic story. I'll give you just a snapshot so I don't get in too much detail. But here is the story. You, you have a guy named Gregory, and they called him Gregory the Illuminator later on. But this guy named Gregory was in this pagan empire of Armenia, and because he was a Christian, he got thrown into a pit. And I got to climb down into this pit when I was there, and it was literally halfway from speaker to speaker, circular, you know, extremely small pit. Now, I've told this story before. Does anyone remember how long was Gregory in this pit? Do you remember? 13 years. He's in this pit 13 years. Is that not a definition of quarantine and isolation, right? He's in this pit 13 years. Now, I just imagine myself. How would I find myself being completely satisfied in God when you're literally sitting in a pit for 13 years? Do you not think that at some point in his life he was tempted to deny God? He was tempted to say, I'm done with you, God. God, you've just left me here. I'm gonna, you've abandoned me. I'm going to abandon you. That would be my temptation that whole time. And yet here's the, the wild thing that happens out of the story. King Tridides, who was the, the pagan king at the time in Armenia, he started to go crazy. And the reason he started to go crazy, he was literally acting like a cow, eating grass off the ground, literally out of his mind. And his sister said, it's because you killed these 13 or 12 
uh, Christian girls that came from Rome. One actually escaped to Georgia. And she said, it's because you killed these 12 Christian girls that you are going crazy. And so they said, well, we need to get a Christian to come and pray. And, and who was the Christian they thought of in the empire? It was Gregory. Now they had assumed he'd be dead after all these years, but he was still alive. And Gregory came and he prayed over the king and he restored the king's mental health and wholeness. He brought him out of his insanity. God healed him. And guess what happened? The pagan king said, we are now a Christian empire. And that was the birth of Christianity in its fullness in Armenia. And Armenia still considers themselves to this day to be a, a Christian nation. And, and so we, we look at this reality of, of what we experience in life. And, and if we're truly content in God, if, if we're truly satisfied in God, no matter what our circumstances are, then, then God is going to do mighty things through us even when we don't realize it or even when we don't acknowledge it. And so this is where satisfaction comes in. Now, now, Jane brings up another aspect next. He says, well, maybe you are asking God to satisfy you. Maybe you are praying that, but maybe you're praying in a wrong way. Does everyone know there's a wrong way to pray? Okay? If you didn't know that, now you know that today. There is a wrong way to pray. And James says this, you ask and you do not receive because you asked wrongly to spend it on your passions. And James says, you're not praying the right way. And he said, what you're doing in your prayers is all you're doing is asking God for all these things. You're asking God to change your circumstances. You're asking God for the things that are dictated by your own passions. And so we're, we're so tempted in this life. This is what James is bringing up. We're so tempted in this life to pray for these things like a job or we pray for a house or we pray for our relationship or we pray for money or we pray for entertainment or we pray for experiences. And, and James says, no, that's not the right way to pray. That's praying for your passions. James says the right way to pray is under the will of God. Now, now this is fascinating. When Jesus taught us to pray, how did he teach the church to pray? What do we call it? The Lord's Prayer, right? Which is our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So what's the first thing we ask for from God? That his name would be glorified, right? Hallowed be your name. God, glorify yourself. Let us glorify you through our actions in our life. That's our first thing that we ask of God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Then what? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, bring your kingdom. Bring the justice and mercy and salvation, right? And then we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then what? Give us this daily bread. In other words, give us the provision that we need today to survive and be sustained in life, right? Then we pray what? Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. In other words, we pray, God, forgive us so that we can forgive others and then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You see, that's how Jesus taught us to pray. He didn't say, go to God and ask for a bunch of things. Go to God and ask for a bunch of handouts. 
It's saying, no, this is what you pray for. This is the heart of God. This is the will of God. This is what James says next. He says, we pray for all these things because they think we're going to fulfill us. But then he says in verse 4, he says, you adulterous people. That's pretty blunt. That's pretty bold, isn't it? He say, you adulterous people. He's saying when all you're doing is asking God for all these things, he's saying this is an action of adultery. James is saying you could have this relationship with God that is so fulfilling, that is so satisfying, that you could sit in a dungeon for 13 years and still be committed and satisfied in God so deeply that you transform an entire nation. God can meet every single one of our needs. But this is what James warns us of. He says, God can meet every single one of your needs, but you think you need something else. And so you keep seeking and seeking elsewhere. And he says, you seek elsewhere, even to the point where you are asking the one who could satisfy everything in your life to replace him with something else. This is what James says we're doing. This is why he uses the language of adultery. Now, uh, imagine this. Imagine a perfect spouse. Can anyone do that? I don't have to imagine very hard, thankfully. <laughs> but imagine a perfect spouse right now, right? We, we would all love a perfect spouse. What James is saying, what we're doing with God is like having a perfect spouse, this perfect relationship, and going to that person and saying, I'm not satisfied in you. I'm not fulfilled in you. Can you help me find someone else to meet my longings and satisfaction? That's how blunt James is. That's what he's saying we are, are doing with God when we seek something apart from him. That's what it's like seeking satisfaction and fulfillment apart from God. And so then James goes on to say this. He says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? God, the creator of the whole universe, he yearns jealously for you and for me. Isn't that a beautiful thought? That, that God yearns, he, he is jealous for a relationship with you. He is jealous to know you. He is jealous for you to experience the satisfaction that he can provide. But instead of looking to God and saying, you are everything to me, instead of us looking to God and saying, you can satisfy every aspect of our life, instead we say, actually, God, you are not enough. God, can you give me this? And our prayers become this shopping list of asking things apart from God. And it's almost this picture of coming to Jesus even, and Jesus uses the, the language of him being the bread of life and the living water. 
all these things about filling the empty void in our souls and bringing satisfaction and fulfillment, this language. And it's like us walking to Jesus who calls himself the bread of life and the living water and saying, hey, Jesus, I got a shopping list for you. Can you go get me some bread and water? And God comes to us and he says, I am that. I am that. You don't need to go anywhere else. And here's the good news. Even though we do this constantly in our life, even though it's defined so much of our life even, verse six says this. It says, but he gives more Does anyone have their scripture? He gives more grace. He gives more grace. Here's the beautiful thing. Even if you've rejected God most of your life, I mean, I'm still over half of my life I spent rejecting God. I'm excited for when I get to the age where I can say I've worshiped God more than I've rejected him. But even if we rejected God our whole life, even if we spent our life pursuing things apart from God and trying to find satisfaction and fulfillment of everything else in this world, the good news is this. God gives more grace. He gives more grace. No matter how much you have neglected a relationship with him, God's grace is more, amen? It's this grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. God will always allow you to restore, be restored into relationship with him. All it takes is this. It says, therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It's coming before God and it's, it's stop making excuses for how we've acted. It's stop justifying our behavior. It's stop defending our actions. And it's humbling ourselves. And it's humbling ourselves before God and acknowledging that you are truly what we need. You are truly the only thing that can satisfy us in this life. And James gives us some steps on how to make this happen. Verse 7, he says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Humble yourself before God. Submit yourself saying, God, everything I pursued in this life has come up empty, but I'm going to submit myself to your will, to your purposes, to your plans, to a relationship with you. And he says, resist the devil, resist temptation. He will flee from you. And here's a beautiful thing. It says, draw near to God and he will do what? He will draw near to you. Why? Because he's already jealous for you, as James says. God is waiting for you. God God is desiring this restoration to take place. And he's saying, if, if you humble yourself before God, and if you say, God, I so desperately need you. I've made a mess of my life. I, I'm living for nothing. I, I need you in every aspect of my life. It says God's going to draw near to you. God's going to honor that heart. Then he says this. He says, cleanse your hands, purify yourselves. Don't be double-minded. Verse 9, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be torn, turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Why does James says this? He says, because 
What we often do is life, we simply laugh over our sin. We, we enjoy our sin, so to say, and we laugh it. We, we mock it off. And, and James says, you keep laughing over your sin, but you need to mourn over your sin and humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. It's this posture of, of brokenness. It's so often in life where we just need to break down before God and say, God, I'm missing something. God, I've lost focus. God, I've lost relationship with you. I've lost a pursuit of you. I've lost a passion of you. I'm celebrating my sin instead of confessing it. God, I'm so sorry for that adulterous life that I thought could fulfill me. Sorry for mocking you in that way. That's the heart that James says we, we constantly have to be posturing towards God. And then he ends like this. He, he begins with this deep question, what causes fights and quarrels among you? That's a good question. And then he ends with another really good question. James says this, who are you to judge your neighbor? Verse 11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you to judge your neighbor? It's this concept of, of you keep looking at everyone else's sin around you. You keep looking at the reason and fights and quarrelings as everyone around you. And James says, stop the judging. You got to deal with your own heart here. You got to deal with what you're producing. And he uses this language of, of judge and he puts us in this image of a courtroom. Now, think about this. Where does a judge get to sit in a courtroom? Up in the high chair, right? The judge gets to sit up and he gets to look over and look down and everyone else, right? That's a pretty good place to be, right? Who would rather be a judge than the person prosecuted? <laughs> we like the judge's chair, don't we? And, and, and this is what James is saying. He's saying, we don't want to be the prosecutor. We want to sit as judge. We don't want to deal with our own sin. We want to sit in judgment over everyone else. And James says, you know what? This is nonsense. You cannot have a judge that's guilty of the same charges they are prosecuting, right? Could you have a judge who is a theft and who's been prosecuted for it and he's prosecuting a theft or a thief as well? No, it doesn't make sense. And so James says, this is the reality. Jesus comes into the courtroom of our lives and he says, you are guilty, you are guilty. Both sides are guilty. And Jesus says, I'm the only judge here. You guys get that in James? I'm the only judge, Jesus says. I'm the only one who can sit in this high chair. Jesus is the only judge and we are all guilty. We have all sinned. There is no, I am better than this person. There is only one God who is holy and perfect, and then there's us as humans who are sinful and depraved. 
And this is the, the realization that James wants to bring us to. He's saying our only hope then, our only hope in sitting before this judge where we are all guilty is to be reconciled to God and to try, finally find our satisfaction in him. Because this is the reality of life. When, when we are left on our own, we will destroy everything and everyone around us seeking our own satisfaction. We will take advantage of people. We will take advantage of circumstances. We will use people for our own purposes. And, and James says, you know what? All you're doing is living in self-interest and self-satisfaction. And James says it's only when we are reconciled to God, when we admit our guilt before him and find the freedom and forgiveness and salvation that God can bring, that is the only way that we can get rid of our pride and be reconciled not just to God but to each other. And James says, you, you know what's going to stop all this quarreling and all this fighting and all this judgmental attitudes? said so the only thing that's going to stop any of this is if we truly find satisfaction and fulfillment in God. So he says, humble yourself. And, and so let me ask you this question, just in a closing thought. How would your life look different if you were completely satisfied in God? How would your life look different if you are completely satisfied in God. What do you need to let go of? What do you need to trust God in? See, here's a beautiful thought as well. James 1.17, in the very first chapter of James, James says, every good and every perfect gift is from where? Do you remember? It's from above. From the Father of lights. And so let's process for a second. When we think of all the good things, all the, the beautiful, holy, pure experiences we have in this life, what is the source of it? It's God. So even let's just brainstorm for a second. You might have to yell out answers really loud because it's hard to hear you. But let's let's think of this. What are some of the good things that God has given us as humans? The air we breathe, I mean, especially on a day like this, just basking in fresh air. It's beautiful, right? What are some other good things that he has given us? Nature itself, creation, the, the trees, I mean, the sun, I mean, heat is a beautiful thing, right? What are some other good things that God has given us? Water, new life. The very food we eat, and, and even you think of the varieties of food that God, God has given us. He didn't give us food just for nourishment, did he? He gave us food for enjoyment. I, we could go on and on about the, the beauty that God has created, and even the sense of color. I'm seeing so many colors right now. All these things and the complexities of life and the, the ability to adventure and to explore all these beautiful things that God has given us. And, and yet what we do in life is we say, you know what, you are the source of all these things. And yet we're going to figure it out on our own. How illogical is that? 
It doesn't make any sense. It's saying, God, you created all these beautiful things. You created itself. You are the source of enjoyment and satisfaction and fulfillment. But I don't want to find it from you. It's illogical. And James says, you're always going to be taking advantage of others. You're always going to be fighting with others. You're always going to be quarreling. You're always going to be pursuing self-interest. You're always going to be judgmental. You're never going to find contentment. You're going to be all these things unless you truly realize that when you humble yourself before God, when he becomes your satisfaction in every aspect of life, that is where true joy and freedom is found. We're always going to have passions and desires. God, God even built those within us. We're always going to have these passions and desires. But God says they're, they're found the satisfaction in me. Your soul, your very being can only be satisfied in me in, in ways that no other human being or earthly experience ever could. And that is James's heart. James is saying, God is ready. God is jealous for you. God is the true source of joy and satisfaction and fulfillment. And all you have to do is humble yourself before him. And you get to experience all those things. Amen, church? Amen. And so my prayer for us is that we would truly be a people who who find such a deep satisfaction in God that no matter what happens in our, our personal and corporate lives, that we would not be known as a people who so easily get dissatisfied in life or overwhelmed by life or, or beaten down in life, but we have this deep sense that no matter what comes, satisfaction will unite us to God and satisfaction will even unite us to one another. That is the heart for us. Let me pray to that end. Gracious God, we come before you as Lord and source of all joy and fulfillment. Lord, so often we go through this life trying to create our own meaning, trying to create our own purpose, trying to create our own value even, create our own identity. And you, Lord, are the source of all those things. And so we pray that we would be a people who are humble enough to come before you to find those things in you. You have given us a meaning. You have given us a purpose. You have given us value. You have given us an identity. And as the world wanders and trying to create those things or wanders looking for them, Lord, we know where the source is. And so let us be a people who go to you, who humble ourselves before you so that we can find the source of living water and the bread that lasts and fulfills us for eternity. And so, Lord, we confess when we do not do so. We confess that the, the quarrels and fightings and judgmental attitudes that we have are because we're trying to fulfill this emptiness. So, Lord, we pray that you would fulfill us with your joy, with your satisfaction. And may we delight in you in every aspect of our life so that you are glorified and so that we can experience your goodness. We thank you, gracious God, for being that for us. We celebrate who you are and who we are in you. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. 
Amen. Amen.